Welcome to the Safety with Purpose Women in Safety podcast. This is a show that provides a supportive space for women in safety careers. We break down the barriers and provide opportunities for growth. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and join us at safetywithpurpose.com. Now, here's your Women in Safety podcast host, Tamara Paris. Hi, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Women in Safety. I'm Tamara Paris, your host, and we've got a great conversation today for you with Mary Jo Press, the Senior Staff Program Manager, Global Safety Center of Excellence from Tesla, and Dr. Travis Cruz, the Senior Director, Safety Strategy and Solutions from Granger with us today. We're going to be talking about the future of safety and how are we going to get innovative for 2020 and beyond. Welcome to the show. You're welcome. Happy to be here. I'm really excited about having the two of you here with us today, and I really wanted to learn, how did you become so passionate about health and safety? Well, I guess I will start. Um, I didn't start out in health and safety. I started out as a research chemist. So when I think back about how did I get passionate about health and safety, I think about my example growing up of my dad working together on the farm. Um, He wouldn't let me do certain tasks, and he would also explain why. So if it was a safety issue and he knew the brakes needed to be replaced on a particular piece of equipment, he would say he was the only one that could be on there. And and it helped me to understand the whys a little bit instead of just don't do this. But he also took me to first aid and CPR classes back when CPR was first being offered. So it was interesting to be able to to help people as they seem to wreck in our front yard in a sharp curve, um, that we could go out there and we could help them until the ambulance arrived. But it was neat to be able to be taught by example. So no matter what I did, I think I started integrating safety into what I was doing and realized how important it was. Yeah, so this is this is Travis, and uh, very similar to Mary Jo, my story has a lot to do with my father as well. But um, I remember uh, I, I was a student at Murray State University, uh, which is basically on the border of Kentucky and Tennessee. And I was playing sports. Uh, I was a walk-on football player. I was flipping pizzas. I was doing every job I possibly could. And, and I, was a, I was a pre-physical th- therapy major at the same time because I, I felt like, you know, after college, I wanted to stay close to sports. I really had an affinity for sports. And um, as time went on, um, you know, pulling B's and C's, I guess you could say, uh, in school at the time, um, you know, I was working hard, playing sports, as I mentioned, and I was proud of those. But at that time, it was very competitive in physical therapy. So... Um, I spoke with my advisor and, and essentially they said, hey, you know, you really need to consider doing something else uh, because you essentially you needed a 4.0 to get into physical therapy school back in that time. And so I was a little disappointed in that. And uh, but a good friend of mine uh, who what was also from Louisville, Kentucky, my hometown, said, hey, come over and look at this Department of Occupational Health and Safety. And um, so I went down there and, and took a look and, and uh, said, hmm, it's all about helping people. and uh, you know, industrial athletes kind of came to mind, I guess, at the time. And I saw big corporations like Ford, General Motors, Intel Corporation, you name it, coming down to select students. Um, salary ranges look pretty good. And as a young person, I probably wasn't the, the sharpest tool in the shelf, but I knew that when I got out of college, I, I wanted to be able to make decent money. And it seemed like this was a, a, a unique opportunity. So so I switched fields, uh, jumped over to the Department of Occupational Health and Safety, a, a lot to do 
a lot of influence from Dr. David Kramer. Um, and um, and I, as I was thinking more about it, my, my dad at the time was a union um, steward at Ford Motor in Louisville. And he recently had taken on um, uh, the union responsibility at the Louisville assembly plant, making the Ford Ranger and the Ford Explorer with, with health and safety. So um, it just, uh, over time, it felt like a nice fit and an awesome career path. And, and to this day, I look back and can attest to that. And I'm really proud with my decision so much to where, heck, even my younger brother, uh, he graduated from Murray State, recently completed his CSP. So it's been somewhat of a fam family affair for me. Now, I know that we work in different industries, and the first thing that I saw going into safety was that there was needing more public awareness. Um, and I was wanting to learn from the two of you, when you're looking at your industries, what are you seeing as a large safety problem that you would like to kind of tackle? Um, I, I would say that uh, one of the biggest problems in our industry is the silo effect. Um, in many cases, the environmental health and safety department or the safety department, if you will, is very much this um, function that's sort of been put on the sidelines because of regulatory requirements. It, you know, it wasn't like the finance, accounting, or business function or you know, sheer function. It was an auxiliary function, very similar to human resources. And I think, um, I think in many cases, organizations over time have struggled with what to do with it and where to put it. And uh, with that, so with that aside, I think one of the biggest challenges in the industry is being able to tie environmental health and safety or safety to business outcomes and business benefits for organizations. Um, and I think, uh, you know, another challenge with that is, is I guess this migration from safety to an environmental health safety and gosh, security, business continuity, um, corporate social responsibility, sustainability. This function continues to get piled on um, with different uh, expectations and programs, um, and, it, and it all pretty much started with safety. Again, I think one of the biggest problems is being able to tie it to business results and use it in a competitive advantage way. Uh, when it comes to um, our industries and trying to, to manage safety, the, the task does get bigger every day. But we also have gotten so much better. We've eliminated so many of the major risk within our organizations that sometimes people think that we are safe enough. Um, so to be able to take it to the next level is sometimes a, a real problem in many locations in different companies because they do see that they've improved their operations. And you know, frankly, as we design out these heavy lifting tasks, as I call them, we see an increase in the repetitive motion tasks, you know, those smaller things that we're doing. So where people were getting hurt falling off a ladder, we're really seeing more of the, the issues of repetitive motion um, problems. So as we, as, a, as an industry of environmental health and safety professionals are looking at what we can do, um, yes, we always need to focus on those life potential things, the, you know, things that are gonna really change whether I can function as I did in the past. We also have to look at those minor things, the things that, that sort of mess with 
you every day, create those chronic issues. And I think we've started moving towards the chronic problems as being some of the larger things that we need to fix. So you know, how we changed as an industry will continue to migrate. And I think it's important for us as safety professionals to keep changing with the times. I think, frankly, we've been stuck in doing things the same way for many years. Uh, we've been focused on the regulatory aspect. Um, you know, back in 1970 with the OSHA Act, we, we got regulations and, and things that we had to follow. And then many industries started stepping up to being better than the industry average. But I think it's time for us to think about the proactive approach. You know, things that we can do on a positive standpoint, even in collaboration with our regulators, such as OSHA, I think we need to be focusing on the VPP aspects, ISO 45001, and really trying to be leaders within our, our organization instead of being the regulatory response folks. Um, and I think that's something we're going to have to really work with our legislators on is to change the OSHA laws over time so that we really are being more proactive long-term. And what are some innovative ways that we could be more proactive to help eliminate some of these safety issues and problems that you've identified? So one is really exciting, and that's on the ergonomic standpoint. Um, we've tended to measure movements and analyze the data for improvements based on being out and visually monitoring people. Um, you, you know, take a video or you take pictures and then you measure how much people are moving. But there's such new technology on the market now, such as measuring clothing, um, that's going to give you a lot of data that can be collected in an even shorter period of time, but you're gonna be able to see different people doing those same tasks and, and be able to have all that data come back and be analyzed. So where before we might have measured two or three people out there just simply because of time, now we may be able to measure hundreds of people and see what their exposures are, you know, how many times they lift, to what extent they're lifting, and get that real life data to come back so that we can determine what we need to do from a design standpoint to improve the process. And I think just bringing technology in to eliminate these safety problems is gonna be a great, a great game changer for us. And Tamara, it's just to a couple on <clears throat> with Mary Jo's comment. Uh, she she pro provided a very good one around ergonomics and some, and some innovation at, you know, in that direction. And I would say that you know, one of the problems that I introduced really was around, you know, the pile on of the safety profession or the EHS profession, all the things that, you know, individuals get asked to do. And, and we can't for, forget that typically environmental health and safety is considered an operations expense within most organizations today, especially manufacturing. And I feel like, you know, and part of the problem of tying it to tying safe and health and environmental outcomes to business results is something that, um, a lot of uh, our professionals, you know, struggle to do um, for various reasons. So I think management systems, integrated management systems at that is a, is a, is a new frontier. It's, uh, I mean, systems like ISO 14001 have been around since 1996, and 9001 has been around a long time on the quality side. You heard Mary Jo speak to 45001, which is, you know, the first time in the, in the world's history where we have an agreed upon international standard or framework for health and safety. VPP is the same way. VPP is a management system framework. So 
when you think about organizations and, and you know, Tesla being one of those, Granger, the company I represent being one of those, you know, we're commonly asked by um, our customers or supply chain, uh, supply chain pressures, investor pressures to meet certain either regulatory or industry standards. And I think being able to do that in, in a way that is efficient and effective, effective number one, efficient number two, is, um, is takes a lot of strategic thinking, um, uh, takes a lot of partnership internal to the business to make sure that these things are being managed in a way that you know, produce you know, effective and efficient outcomes for organizations. So I think the integration of management systems um, is a good way to do that. And, and I, I certainly saw that in my Honeywell days when they, Dave Cody, our CEO at the time, said, hey, you know what, we've got an operating framework within Honeywell. We've got a tremendous amount of variation that's happening from plant to plant. We have, we have to do things safety, safe, safely. We have to do them environmentally in an environmentally responsible manner. And by the way, we have to have high quality and meet the customer's requirements. Um, so they introduced the Honeywell operating system, and that was essentially Honeywell's way of integrating um, all of the requirements and things they had in, in, into their operating norms. And I feel like that, that is uh, an innovative way to think about how we tackle some of these problems of the different you know, standards, regulations, and whatnot are, that, are, that are being instituted uh, in our space. I wanted to circle back and dig a little bit more deeper on what you were talking about, the piling on of different roles to the safety professional. I know this is something that's being really spoken about on LinkedIn, and we'd like to get your perspective on this. Well, I think it always starts, all organizations have their own sets of pressures. Not, not every organization is being asked, not, not all safety professionals are being asked to take on environmental. Many of them are, by the way. Uh, business continuity, uh, in some cases, quality or sustainability or even corporate social responsibility, all of these different things. Um, um, so, so I think it all starts with like a materiality assessment. You got to take a step back as an organization to say, hmm, what's material to, to, to Granger? What's material to Tesla? What's material to Intel Corporation? Meaning, what, what, what regulatory requirements are they subject to? What management system standards do they have globally? What, what customer requirements um, and what investor pressures and other stakeholder pressures do, are they receiving? And then you take all of that, all of that, and you say, hmm, okay, great. I now understand the issues that we have to solve for or the standards. Do a big inventory of those. Look at similarities and key differences between those and architect you know, a singular system that the business, the organization in which subscribes to this can manage to. Um, if you have multiple management system frameworks and whatnot in an organization, it leads to organizational chaos and inefficiency. So I do believe the remedy for that is it starts with materiality assessment and, and once you've completed that, you know, architecting the system based on the needs that, are, that, that you've identified. So I have a little bit different approach to the pylon question that, that you mentioned. Yes, we are given many additional topics to take on, such as adding security or sustainability. And I've actually found that as you do put those together, sometimes you also get synergies of those things coming together. 
So you have the opportunity for the security group to help with emergency response and being a partner with you for any type of, of responsiveness that you need to, to have for your site or for your company. The other is sustainability and environmental go hand in hand as well. Um, and, you know, I started out my, my safety career doing safety independently. And I was in a very large organization at Philip Morris years ago, and we had a big staff to do that. So when it was time to, for me to try to expand what I was doing, I realized that I needed to work in the environmental area if I ever wanted to become an, a manager because I needed to be environmental health and safety to be able to move up. So I moved into environmental um, totally for a while, and my safety uh, leader at the time, he says, you know, this is a win-win situation because even though I've moved you to a totally different area, you will never take off your safety hat anymore. So when you're out looking for environmental issues and spills, you're thinking of the safety aspect of that while you're out there as well. And I really took that to heart because, you know, whether I was wearing the environmental hat or the safety hat or a quality hat, I found that those things really were interrelated with each other. And when I worked in the food industry, they instituted uh, processes for food safety and having to make sure that your site was not going to entrain something into the, the consumption food line. So as they were trying to keep things clean and make sure you had good processes and you know, have things in an orderly fashion, that helped my safety as well. So it was great to be a partner with the food safety team to help make sure that we were doing things that, that not only helped the, the food, but it helped my process safety, helped environmentally, it helped us to look at you know, taking out the higher hazard chemicals within the area and trying to, to convert to something perhaps water-based, for example. So I really did see those things working hand in hand with each other. I think the real issue when it comes to pylon is when you're asked to do more and you don't have the resources to do that. And I think that's where we can collaborate with each other within our, our professional organizations to find out what others do and how to deal with it. Because the real issue is you don't have enough time in the day to do what you've got to do. You know, whether it's just in safety alone or whether it's in EHS, SS, and S, as you start adding all the security, sustainability, and things like that to it. The issue is do I have enough time in the day? And I think that's where it comes back to Travis mentioning, what is material to your organization? And focus on the priorities and try not to get bogged down in being so overwhelmed. It's not the fact that I got more things added to my plate. The issue is I got more things added without having more resources added. So um, I would just suggest sometimes it's not best to fight back about things being added, but fight for the resources that you need so that you can manage them well. And Tamara, just to prey upon uh, some of the things that Mary Jo said, which were excellent. What's, and what's great about this is I've known Mary Jo for probably two years now. And I just learned something new about her that we have in common. I, I actually worked at Philip Morris as well as an intern many years ago in, um, in cigarette manufacturing. So it's just a very small world. <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes when you think about the, the call, let's stick to the concept of pylon for a moment. You know, why, why are safety professionals taking on environmental? Why are they taking on 
uh, some of these other aspects. And I would say that, you know, when you take a step back, sometimes the only difference between a quality incident, an environmental incident, and a safety incident is impact. Um, uh, to put this in perspective, if you're involved in an, in an incident investigation, you find out, you know, a, a procedure was missing. And because that procedure was missing, an employee didn't follow it. Why did the employee not follow the procedure? There was no procedure. And then the result of that was, you know, property damage or damage to a to product or something to that effect. Um, that may be classified as a quality incident, but the reality is the same issues or root causes could occur and it could have been a safety or environmental release of some sort. So, so there's that perspective that sometimes the only difference between quality, safety, environmental, and, other, and security really is impact. But then you take a step back and look at the environmental piece. When you look at the four pillars of environmental, water, air, waste, and ground, you know, the, wh why do laws and regulations exist in this space? Is it just to protect the, the globe and the environment? Well, think about, the, think about clean water. You know, the Safe Drinking Water Act, it's all, it's all about safe water for people. People can't consume toxic water. The Clean Air Act, right? It's all because people can't breathe in toxic air because it's unsafe. You think about waste, hazardous waste. The biggest concern with hazardous waste is leaching into the groundwater for the most part. And we know that, you know, toxic groundwater is unsafe. So it all ties back to safety is my point. Um, and um, it's not, it's not uncommon, uncommon at all to see these consolidations happening. And I think to, to, to Mary Jo's point, being able to communicate and ask for the resources to manage the beasts or all of these functions is a skill set that has to be obtained by safety professionals who have now taken on environmental security, these other aspects. And I, but I do, I do believe one of the first questions an executive is going to ask is, have you done everything in your power to optimize and lean out organizational waste before we add headcount? And that's where I think integrated systems come, management systems come into play. And I think that's also going to be the beauty for us all as we move forward in an, an ISO type environment. We're seeing the framework for the quality and the, the safety and the environmental being similar. So when your organization is going for, for ISO certifications, if your base framework has already been laid or the foundation for one program, the ability to move to the next program and the next is so much easier because again, your foundation is already there, it's already set, and then you can build upon that for your next topic. Agreed. Well, absolutely. And as you said, you know, it's about lean management and, and making sure that you're gaining the resources that you need. Now, if you could help create anything to help solve this type of problem for your peers, what would you be proposing? Well, I think about all the problems that we need to solve when it comes to safety. There's a fun exercise that came to mind that I did with a sustainability presentation. It was done by Pete Sigliski of the CBIN Foundation. He showcased some out-of-the-box thinking as a way to help invent his process for how to remove plastics and other waste from the waterway. And he goes around to, to schools and companies sharing some of the things that they've done and also getting some support for their foundation. But when he did that for our group, we our team created what was called a manta otter. 
So um, we were to choose an animal to help us think about ways the animal could help us solve the problem better than our man-made tools. And I thought this was really eye-opening because as we stop to think about how that animal naturally is able to do things, it's very different than how we as, as a human being would respond to that same problem. Um, so as I thought about the ergonomics issue that I mentioned before, if I could create an animal to, to pair with me as a, a teammate, I'd probably get a crap. Um, I think about the, you know, having multiple arms, crab claws, be able to lift, grab, and turn. Even if I wore the crab suit and I had five similar crab claws, to perform a repetitive task, I'm doing it once out of five now instead of five times. And I even thought about how we can apply that to even our robotics. Um, if I'm able to wear a suit now with new technology and I move and let the robot learn instead of being taught XYZ um, coordinates, he can mimic my actual movement and then respond to that. That technology is game changing for us for ergonomics, but can you imagine if we had them mimicking each other side by side to take away that repetitive task as well? So I think when it comes to you know how we're going to solve problems for the future, um, I like to say I'm not out of the box. I just crashed that box and put it in the recycle bin and started fresh. And I think that's going to really help us as we think about how to solve our safety problems for the future. So many times we have we've done it the same way or we've tweaked it just a little bit, but very few times do we step back and just reinvent the whole process. And I think that's what we have to do as safety professionals now is we've done things the same way a long time. It's a good time for us to re refresh that. So some of my examples is a little different than uh, Mary Jo's. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly aligned with her thought process on that. Um, I would say that, um, you know, relative to, many of the, you know, the, the growing issues that uh, plague or challenge safety and health professionals to manage things in a, a systematic way that helps yield predictable results. You know, I think, um, I think an integrated framework is something that uh, can, be, can, can be helpful. And um, I, um, you know, I heard Mary Jo talk about how, you know, if you have the 9001 framework that you can build upon that, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, uh, and I spent six years of my of my life tied up in, in academia, if you will, as I was working in the semiconductor high tech industry, and and I was um, essentially architecting a management system framework uh, to help businesses of all sizes, small, medium, and large, think about you know what key elements might might you have in a in, a, in an integrated management system and how. How do you architect them in such a way that yields lean outcomes? You know, do it in an efficient and effective manner. So, um, I put that together and, and ended up um, completing my dissertation on that topic. And and I'm proud to report that uh, it was actually released this past month in the Journal of Safety Research. Um, it was accepted, and and you should be uh, able to view and see that out there now. But it's uh, to me when I think about a framework such as that, it's the foundation. It's really when you're building a house, you've got to make sure the foundation is built correctly or, or you know what happens after that. So, so I, I think um, in, in the particular example that I've provided, I think, you know, a framework is, 
is really what 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 is needed to to help manage the beast of these many different standards and issues that are uh, plaguing organizations today. Looking at organizations, you know, a, a lot of times safety is done in a silo. And one of my passion topics is really kind of breaking out of that. How could we be leveraging our organizational community is what I like to call it, um, so that we can create more collaboration and collectively really identify problems that are needing to be solved. So it's not all weighed on one or two people. So I'll start with this one. And I think um, one opportunity we have is this, you know, buzz phrase, buzz, buzz term called big data analytics. And I feel like, you know, part of the maturation um, of, of good management systems within organizations are starting to look uh, across the operations for data to help inform decision making. So in the past, I think we would use terms like accidents and safety, right? And I think we've, we've migrated towards the term of incident, knowing that you can have quality incidents, environmental incidents, safety incidents. Um, some of those will turn into an accident perhaps, and you know, not to get too caught up in the terminology, but um, many organizations in the past, and I've certainly worked for, or I've seen some of, the, some of this take place, will focus on those nine or 20 recordable injuries, or you know, five lost workday case rates, and they do a thorough job of, of incident investigation to get to root cause and causal factors and they solve in that manner. Where I, think, where I think organizations could really grow and we could really tap into that organizational community, Tamara, that you mentioned, is to really partner with you know, HR business partners, with quality engineers and quality leaders, obviously the safety and health or environmental health and safety department. Um, look at other forms of data that get collected within the organization and see if you know, incident investigation or analysis can be performed across the enterprise looking for, you know, causal factors and, and bigger, much bigger trends that can help influence, you know, outcomes and behavior changes that could be a result of that data and just using it in a more meaningful fashion. So uh, that's one piece. And I would also point to um, better supply chain involvement upstream and downstream. So I, a lot of organizations talk about cascading safety and health or environmental health and safety requirements through their supply chain. And it typically ends up looking like an Excel spreadsheet or um, a Word document full of different requirements that an organization shall meet. But what I rarely see and have seen in my career is true collaboration up and down the supply chain to make everyone better uh, as a team and, and win as one team, if you will. So those are two things that I would point to as far as leveraging the organizational community to collaborate. And I will think of the organization a little outside of my company. Um, I think about even our professional organizations that we interact with and how Travis and I um, first got connected as well. Um, I think it's important for us to, to think about ways that we step outside of our own company a bit and think about our professional connections when it comes to environmental health and safety. Uh, you know, Granger has done a, a, a wonderful thing recently of pulling together some industry leaders across many organizations and partnering with the Board of Certified Safety Professionals so that we can look at what are the trends within our organizations that we need to be addressing? What are the problems? And then let's 
put some money behind that and let's do some research to to be on the forefront of thinking about how we resolve those issues. Um, I think those types of collaborations are going to be game changers because it seemed like before we had research doing their own thing independently. We had vendors doing their own thing independently. We had organizations, um, industries that we work in doing their own thing. We're all writing our own policies. We're all writing procedures, but they may have the same topic and background here. But we have an opportunity as we come together as this research group to say, here are the things that are trends right now that, that we are not seeing a solution for in our community, in our EHS community. And now let's partner with who can help us to identify the problem, get the data that's needed, get the solutions put together. And I think you know that's gonna be the real thing that we need to be focusing on going forward is how can we collaborate with each other to to raise our profession and raise the solutions that we have for our profession. Um, it's so nice to be able to say, you know, I've, I've got a problem here, now I've got a researcher who's off working on that problem, and now I have an, an R&D group that's, that's putting a product out for me to test to see if that's going to solve my problem. Instead of having to wear three layers of high voltage gloves, can I now work with the the ANSI group and change the rules so that I can incorporate these things together. Um, to me, those are going to be the real game changers going forward and working outside of our organization and really partnering together as an EHS community to come up with the things that are going to change us for the better and provide products and processes um, for the betterment. There's another group that, that I've been involved with lately. It's called the Transplant Automotive Safety Forum, and that's bringing together EHS people that work for various automotive groups and understanding we have a similar problem. We all sort of make similar things. We do it in different ways and we have different outcomes, but we still have similar issues that we almost deal with. And it's, it's so refreshing to be able to, to share you know, what's working for you or what doesn't work for somebody else so that we can learn from that and get the best of the best solutions. And I think that collaboration for excellence is really what's gonna change us as EHS professionals over the time. Instead of, we're always just doing the same old things, we have to really start stepping out and finding what's best and trying to, to replicate that. And, and Tamara, just to, an example of the collaboration. So I, I think of, you know, what am I doing personally? So, and I think of Mary Jo, so and my supply chain comment earlier about leveraging and driving action through the supply chain. So at, at Granger, we have uh, an EHS Innovation Council that, you know, we pull from many of our big customers, Mary Jo being one of them, and we tap them a few times throughout the year and say, hey, you know, what's missing in our industry and what can we do? What needs to change? Um, with, you know, when you think about Granger's supply chain, we have, you know, safety manufacturers and suppliers. Think of 3M and Honeywell, Ansel, uh, Bobdale Gloves, you name it. We have the ability to turn to them and say, hey, we're dealing with an issue where employees have to wear three layers of gloves to protect from an electrical safety hazard. Please help us go solve that. Or, hey, we've identified a situation, master lock that, you know, uh, employees that 
customer A is having a, a difficult problem locking out because the lock just can't fit for whatever reason or there isn't, um, they, they need a better hasp and if, we, if they had that, they would, be, they would be more apt to conform to or comply with the control of hazardous energy standards. So those are things that I think we are working together on collaboratively that, um, that we're gonna continue to do, but it's a perfect example of collaboration between you know, safety suppliers and end user customers and like, uh, like Tesla. How, how do you think that in 20 years, we're going to be doing safety differently than what we're doing right now today, where it's, um, we're focusing on our own companies? Well, I believe that the community um, is gonna continue, and when I say community, I mean stakeholders within an organization are gonna continue to provide uh, pressures in a good and maybe not so good way in some cases, right? To, to take on and take on additional challenges, et cetera. So I think, you know, when you look back at, at the uh, ISO 14001 standard uh, since 96, I think over the last five years, there's been a third, to this day, there's been a 13% adoption rate that continues to, to grow consistently. So more companies continue to um, become, um, you know, subscribe to the ISO 14001 standard on environmental. Now that we've got this health and safety standard around 45,001, I think, I think you'll see more supply chain pressure, more investor pressure to, to become ISO 45,001 certified. And I guess my point I'm trying to make here is you're going to see more focus on systems and compliance assurance methodologies, meaning how do you know? How do you, you know, you say you're in compliance, you, you've had zero fatalities, but how do you, how do you really know that you're in compliance? Um, I think you'll see more compliance assurance pressures, uh, obviously more pressure from stakeholders that I mentioned, um, and, and more focus on competitive differentiation using EHS. So you'll see more scenarios where companies will uh, continue to focus on who they're going to do business with based on um, their EHS and really their corporate social responsibility results. So it's it's going to play a bigger part in business. I think we're all going to be a little more ISO focused going forward. But I think, as I mentioned before, we're also going to have to push back uh, with our regulators to get them out of, of the previous century and start forward thinking. And I think we have to, to do that so that we can be proactive and really try to set companies up for success. We want to educate first. We want to be punitive second. And that's not the environment we work in right now. Um, so I, I think that's something we're gonna have to, to try to push so that when we say we're 20 years down the road that we are starting to make that flip a bit. But I think it's also gonna be important for us to make safety personal. And I think about Safe Start, the organization that, that's really trying to, to share practical techniques to help us to alert ourselves to risk whether at work or at home or in route to work or somewhere else, um, they provide training opportunities for workers, but they also provide free resources to those workers' families, such as helping with teen drivers or babysitters. And they've collaborated in the Canadian education system to teach classes about safety. And I think that's what it's gonna take all around the world, is to share those basic safety principles as well as teaching them in our homes, because many of us think we're safe enough already, 
until we have a child who's having to, to go through an experience and then we want to protect them. Um, I think about when I, I trained my sons how to drive. And as we're going down the, the highway, I'm telling them, this is a dangerous intersection. Always watch for people running the red light here. Or here's a blind intersection. Always be sure to look around the stone wall because a car can pop out at you. We have to start practicing having that kind of, of conversations with each other and making it integrated into our lives. We get workers that have already come out of the education system and they've not been trained on safety. We have to start with day one for trying to teach somebody who's going to go out and work in a, in a shop or in maintenance or even in the office environment. They've not had those base skills that they really need to be entering the workforce. So I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to focus on so that in 20 years from now, we can say we really have um, moved the bar. No, I think that's uh, very important um, thinking that you're bringing in. You know, it is time to move the bar and we do have to have more conversations that are are sharing our knowledge more at the practical level, as you were saying, the day-to-day, -day, what people are doing, um, because not enough of that is going on. And, and I also, you know, it reminds me of somebody that I was speaking to, a, a health and safety manager several years ago, where he actually turned safety upside down. So it's okay to, to think um, of doing it in a different way for your own environment you know every little bit helps and in reaching out of your own organization like you guys have been doing with your councils in your forms so that you're you're meeting other people that are in your industry doing safety and then sharing like what problems do we have that are in common and what kind of resources can we be getting in order to research those out and find some solutions it's you know incredible conversation today thank you but before we closed out i wanted to ask um, if you could share our with our listeners what would be a very important piece of advice that you would want to share with other safety professionals well i think about me i've decided to step out of my box after many years and learn how to fly an airplane and my instructor reminds me to look at my checklist anytime I'm moving to the next aspect of flying. And not because I don't know how to do it, but because I'm in a high-risk task. And when I'm performing a high-risk task, I have that checklist to remind you some things to do really does pay off. Um, sometimes we get complacent in what we do in life. And I think my biggest advice to share is try to avoid complacency. Have that positive self-talk. Think about your risk and think about, do I need a checklist? You know, if, if I'm preparing to go on vacation, did I really think about, if, is the air in my tires uh, correct? Do I have a spare? Am I really challenging myself with my positive self-talk to get me safely to my destination and back again? I think that really helps us as we, we don't want to be complacent in doing the same thing day after day. We have to remember we do have risk in daily life. And as we, as we try to live our lives, um, we want to be there for our families tomorrow. And to be able to, to share your stories with each other of, of the times that you almost 
not a problem. They can learn from that. And frankly, we're going to remember more when somebody tells us the story about a time that I did something versus I'm teaching you about safety. So my advice is to, to just really work on that positive self-talk and share with others your experiences and your learnings so that they can hear from you what they may want to do to help protect themselves as well. Well said, Mary Jo, for, for sure. And, um, you know, it makes me think about, when I reflect on her comments, uh, a book called The Checklist Manifesto. It was written by Atal Gawande, and he actually used the example of, you know, pilots are really smart people, but pilots still use checklists, and it's because we're human. And when you think about those high-risk items, and, and really, in many cases, not high-risk, um, that book is all about how to get things right. And um, the power of a checklist is indeed extremely powerful. So um, uh, awesome catch, Mary Jo, and great way to end. Um, I would say I would offer this piece of advice, and that is, you know, the reality is um, folks like Mary Jo and myself have had uh, a lot of time with different organizations to learn and improve upon our craft in environmental health and safety. But the reality is many employees and many safety professionals, everyone is on their own journey. Everyone, everyone um, has their own level of maturation with where they are. I hope to be better in five years than I am today. And um, I think we all in this profession need to understand that, respect that, and continue to get better. So I guess understanding your audience and knowing the difference between telling, teaching, and coaching in this field is very important. In so many cases, we tell people to be safe. We tell people to do certain things. But taking the time and having the self-discipline to teach and coach based on someone's level of maturation or where they are in their safety journey is uh, the piece of advice that I would leave the group with. So thank you very much. Did you have something you wanted to add, Mary Jo? I did. Um, you'd asked me previously um, to think about a question that I didn't get a chance to talk about today. So if I could. Absolutely. So if we could look at what's been done in safety up to now, how do you think safety could be done differently? I wanted to share an experience in my first summer job working for Duke Energy years ago. We were all required to sign up for a safety team. And each year they would change up the teams and you could um, volunteer to be on a different team so that you could learn even more. But this way, everybody at the company had a safety responsibility. And this was very insightful. And I think it would be a great example for other companies to emulate today. Imagine everyone in your organization has a role to play in safety. So if you've got a thousand people, you've got a thousand safety representatives. And everybody does a little piece. So we don't all have this huge job, but we all have a small portion of the job. So as we work together as a team, that load's lightened. And imagine how that knowledge keeps growing and sharing, just like Travis said earlier about um, continuing to mature your organization. If we continue to work on a safety team and interact and collaborate with each other, we're building professionals is what we're doing. We have to think about our employees as somebody you want to retain and somebody that you want to educate and to have around for a long time. So as we build safety into that education, I think that's really how we're going to, to, to do things differently and be successful at it so that everybody can be a team when it comes to safety. 
No, I, I think that's a really great piece of advice. And thank you for bringing that forward because we do need to kind of change up how safety is, is currently being done in organizations. If we want um, our coworkers, because it's really our coworkers, to engage and be involved, you have to invite them into the process. Right. And I don't, I don't feel um, like when, I, when I'm working in, in, in retail, I didn't feel that that was being done. I didn't feel the safety professional invites others in. Um, in my experience, I can only speak from my own experience. Like uh, we were in a store setting and um, when I was doing safety there, I was inside the store level. And of course, I didn't know how to do safety any other way other than like a social worker with. So I'm talking to everybody. I'm sharing everything, you know, I'm sharing out resources and, and everything. And, and then people are coming and asking me questions. And then I had the corporate um, health and safety manager come and do his annual visit. And he comes in with his checklist and goes through the departments and goes back out. And this happened for about two years. Then he finally came to me. He goes, I don't understand it. <laughs> Why do they come and ask you all the safety questions when you're the support person, but they never come to me? And I'm like, well, do, do you talk to them? One other comment, I guess, that it's probably important to leave with is, you know, we're at a time of year where there's a ton of distractions. And I think um, for many organizations, um, this is the time of year where they're most concerned about workplace injuries, fatalities, things of that effect. Um, I had the great pleasure of being up in Calgary and Fort McMurray in Canada um, this past week and spending time with Suncor. And, and um, I was talking about what was top of mind for like 2020 um, relative to their strategic plans. And they're like, well, we certainly have those, but you know, right now we just want to make sure all of our employees, you know, who are fortunate enough to be able to spend time with family over the holidays are able to do so because they've just uh, historically seen you know, not only in their industry, but others where, um, you know, folks have got their mind on their families, on Christmas gifts, on all these types of things. And, and rightfully so, everyone's looking forward to that. But it's also a time of year where it's easy to get very distracted and accidents can happen. So just encourage everyone to be safe out there and, and take that into consideration. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today and uh, also appreciate the opportunity to, to be with Travis once again. It's really refreshing to, to have these side-by-side -side conversations with people who are in the industry and then those people who may provide products to the industry and are really our, our support and helping us be successful. Um, so thanks, Tamara, for inviting us to be here together to share our thoughts. Well, thank you both of you for joining me today. It was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Likewise, thank you. That concludes my conversation with Mary Jo Press from Tesla and Travis Cruz from Granger. We hope you found this episode informative. For more information, please see our show notes at safetywithpurpose.com backslash women in safety. Please visit safepedia.com where you'll find many safety resources in the form of webinars, articles, Q&As, and white papers. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the Women in Safety podcast. 
Thank you for clicking the subscribe button and sharing it with others. Make sure to visit us at safetywithpurpose.com for more safety leadership and industry discussions.